Hi, this is Tamson Granger. This is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamson and Dan read the paper on Monday, October, October 30th. 30th. Yeah, the day before Halloween. Right. And uh, it's a spooky day. Uh, it's a perfect Halloween weather. day. It's like misty. It's dark. Yeah. It's damp. The leaves are fluttering. All it's right. perfect. Well, here, here's the thing about Halloween, honey. Uh, number one, we should recognize the excellent costumes that the kids had. The grand, grand Yes, kids yes. We had Hazie uh, as Spider-Man, or Peter Parker, as he would say. Basically wearing pajamas. But, but looked terrific. Spider-Man pajamas. Looked absolutely like Spider-Man. Exactly. He was comfortable. He had fun in him. Mm-hmm. He won't take him off. Right. That's a great costume. And then Pepper, you can describe her costume better than I can. Pepper is Zazu. Oh, Zazu was a character in one of these uh, Disney shows, right? Right. Lion King. Lion King. Okay. Yeah. And she put on her costume. Mm-hmm. You know, when I when I talked to her, I guess on Sunday, mm-hmm. I said, well, what are you going to be for Halloween? And she said, I already was something for Halloween. You missed it. <laughs> well, she had her school parade or I whatever. Guess. I yeah. don't know. But she put on her costume and it was terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, very simple little, you know, almost like a cloak of wings mm-hmm. and a wonderful mask that was, for some reason, uh, adorable but not intimidating for the child to put on. No, she loved talking. She loved the way she looked in the mask. Yeah. They so. didn't make that. They, they, they bought that. You couldn't have made that. Right, right. Yeah. right. But uh, it's a great costume. I can't wait to see what Hazel comes up with. Well, Hazel's Hazel a little young. Hazel had not put on her costume yet. Hazel she is, doesn't go to school. Yes, she's only a few months she's old. She's waiting for the actual day. Well, the thing with us that's always been confusing is, you know, we live in a few different houses. But we've almost never been in a house where kids come to the door on Halloween. I mean, certainly not in this house. No one's going to make it up here because it's a little bit so off the beaten think that's track. Confusing. A, I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, and well, B, we've always gone to the local parade or whatever. Uh, that's true. That's and true. We, they, the kids have always participated. Well, let me ask you this: It must have been when we were in Ten Cranberry Neck Road. We must have gotten some visitors. I just don't remember. That's some years ago. You know, I sort of doubt it because I think what what would happen was we would go into town for mm-hmm. the official festivities. And no one was home. And we were at, around the corner from Main Street. Yeah. So, you know, also, there, there was were, nothing going on at our house. There were no sidewalks there. Right. right. But, uh, you know, to the extent, uh, usually we lived in places where only, you know, close friends would make the trek. Right, right. <laughs> Okay. And uh, but of course, you know, when I was growing up, when you were growing up, you know, we it was a big deal to get your candy ready because you expected people to come by, and and they did. Yeah. Well, you know, you couldn't we be all caught went short. House to house to house. Well, we. Although we did I that have too. to say, I you know, I would be out trick or treating, so I don't know exactly how many people came to our house. Mm-hmm. But we lived in when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. We lived in a spooky old. Victorian yeah, house I, with I, towers. I, I, I know. We looked in the house that is basically the design of every haunted house right. on the front of a Halloween card. Yeah. So I I suspect it wasn't everybody's first choice to come up all those stairs to our. But I remember doors. we were like uh, we would have a whole system of putting together the Halloween candy bags a few days before. Right. Me and those my brothers. Wax paper bags. Yeah, and we and they were orange and black. We and would white, do make like fifty and of them. Like 
three candy corns right. and you know this many one well, small pumpkins. Snickers bar yeah, and a yeah. couple of lollipops and right. uh, whatever yeah yeah and uh, you know we did pretty well uh, but those those bags would be gone. So I know we got a lot of visitors. Well, well, yeah, you lived in a perfect. We were in a development, a, a yeah. development for trick or treating. Sure, and a lot of little kids. Yeah, lots of houses in a small space and good sidewalks mm-hmm. for little ghosts. And right, the houses were kind of nip and tuck. So, uh, superheroes to one. Yeah, well, anyway, that's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. Yeah, so that's uh, that's Halloween for you. Hmm. A good one, and I also heard an owl hooting we, the other night. You so. always hear an owl hooting around here. Uh, well, but uh, it's especially fun when it's Halloweenish. Okay. So, there you have it. All right. So, speaking of Halloween, you noticed an article in uh, the New York Times about Lilydale, New York, a place in upstate New York, where they actually have a what would you call it? A registration process. Yeah. Uh, for spiritualists. If you're a medium there, you have to register as a medium. No, you don't have to. This is what it is, okay? Um, It's a town Mm -hmm. where all the property is owned by this religious association, Mm -hmm. okay? Which is allowable, Mm -hmm. right? And so all the houses that are there no one owns the house. They purchase a leasehold mm-hmm. to live in the house. Right. So I think it's similar to where Armand. Oh yeah. Remember he yeah. Um, there was a, a little religious park in Perkasie. Right. Except that I and think he ha- he bought into it. Except I think this religious community kind of believes in the occult, right? Well, for this, so so I mean, uh, usually those kind of uh, groups have some requirements. Right. So for Lilydale, you have to be a member of the Lilydale Association and a spiritualist in good standing. Ah. So that's why people want to be certified. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that they can live here. And so this one woman who is suing about not being certified because allegedly she only scored 82% on the test. Whatever that is, um, she needs to get an 85. Uh, she and her husband paid $5,000 to live in the house in the community they want to live there. Um, and uh, I'm not sure she can do that unless she passes the test. So, I mean, it, it's it's an interesting story. It's an interesting concept. They say it's a nice place to live. People are very friendly. It's very comfortable for other mediums because they're, no one's judging. You know, you don't have people looking at you and staring at you and thinking, are you trying to read my mind, yeah. um, etc. And it's also, it, it was born out of that great spiritualism movement in the 19th century that for some reason really um, gathered a lot of strength in uh, western New York, uh, western and northern New York state, mm-hmm. um, and really picked up uh, with the Civil War because death was kind of a, a huge cloud mm-hmm. over people then. And there's this grief and longing to, of course, communicate with the those who have passed. But, you know, as many things do, it all comes down to real estate. But 
It sounds like kind of a, a cute thing. <clears throat> well, I don't know it? what it takes to pass the uh, spiritual test. Yeah, I don't know. I think there, you got to do a few I, tricks I mean, there. It, well, there are all kinds of requirements that you, that you have to have done this many readings and this many public this and public that. And, you know, um, I don't think it's an actual test like, okay, let's see, can you get to, can you get through to George Washington? You know, I, I think that's exactly what it is. No, I don't think it is. <laughs> I think that's what it is. But, um, you know, they have a great quote from one of the guys there. He says, I can't wait to die. It's going to be so much fun. You know? Hmm. That's the neighbor you want. around all these people. Yeah. He says, I'm not leaving this museum. I want to hang out here. Kind of thing. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that's weird. So here is from the, uh, let's say, the uh, sublime to the more mundane there was an article about uh, private label goods. Now, there have always been, or at least in, as far as we can remember, there have always been private label offerings in supermarkets. You know, you don't have Doritos, you have, uh, right. you know, ShopRite uh, I know. chips. And uh, your mother buys them and you're tremendously disappointed because they just don't have the crunch. No, 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 no. That's yeah, not my yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's been your experience. Cereal's all, always terrible. No, see, the, I, my experience label. was the other. To me, private label... I never cared about that stuff. So because no, you are as cheap as the day is long, your only question is: Is it two dollars less? Good, delicious. I think it's delicious. Well, I will say there was some strife. Every once in a while, my father would buy a private label good, like a phony Windex. I remember in particular, my mom went crazy. She says hey, we can afford Windex. It was it was that kind of thing. If if you know to, to buy the private label. Good was to give in, was to show that you couldn't afford what well, everybody could look, afford. Not all those products are the same. You you need to understand. Some of them are actually probably better. You know, you need to try. Correct. Well, you're you're and, hitting and on it. And you can decide. I believe in that, but I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't take it for granted that anything that says that implies it's the same as X, Y, or Z is the same as X, Y, or Z. All right. So. But, uh, you know, here's here's the deal. Traditionally, it was that way. Private label goods were goods that were really uh, made with cheaper ingredients and were cutting corners, and they were the uh, lower-scale goods. But apparently, according to this article at least, things over the years have changed. The whole private label effort is one was they're trying to make higher-quality goods that are at least as comparable, at least comparable to the uh, national brands. And uh, as a result, they are getting a lot more of the sales than they had previously. It's a different ball game. So uh, according to um, this um, firm called Numerator, which uh, measures these things, private labels now account for 38% of canned vegetable sales. Well, that I could see, right? Um, private label cheese has 45% of the market. Private label coffee, 15% of the market. They, uh, uh, you know, and, and there are national brands like Wegmans, for example. Wegmans apparently has 17,000 private label items. And Wegmans, well, I was just thinking, I do buy Wegmans right. cheese. Right, there you go. Wegmans so-called cheese. Wegmans is buying the cheese from someone and putting their label on it. Yeah, sure. No, that, that's yeah. the way it is with all. Uh, okay, all, all right, stuff. all right. Yeah. But um, it's, you know... Actually, quite good. Right. It probably and is the so same I cheese that Kraft has. To have that, right? Then some of the uh, you know some of the brand names are <laughs> kind of bad. Right. Well, uh, that's what they say is happening. They, 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 Aldi, which I don't think we've been to. I've never been to an Aldi. I've been to an Aldi. Okay. 
apparently 90% of its shelves have private label goods. Yeah. It's all private label goods. But it's not necessarily great. Uh, uh, you know, Trader Joe's, a lot of private label goods. People love a lot of Trader Joe products. Yeah. And so the question is why... Are people embracing private label goods now more than they've ever had before? And the obvious answer is inflation. But, uh, you know, why not? I mean... Uh, well, I think it's two things. I think, you know, inflation, meaning, you know, people are taking, are more price conscious. Yeah. But I do think the products have improved. I think they're able to analyze products and... Uh, kind of sort out what the secret recipe is or how to at least mimic that yeah. uh, or produce, you know, or even produce it, something that uh, is uh, near enough but even superior. Well, Some look, it's like we were talking before it. about Costco and uh, what's Kirkland is their, is their brand. I mean, they're clearly aspiring to make reasonably high-quality goods. Uh, they're now trying to make cheapo goods. Um, so, in any event, that is a change. And... And as you might assume, selling private label goods, it's much more profitable for a supermarket than selling branded goods. Right. So they're all in on that. Right. Okay. I don't really think this is totally news, though. It's not totally news, but the numbers are clearly going up. Okay. Yeah. Remark markedly going up. So there you go. And just so, you know, people are having, in some cases, more faith in, like, the local business. Not that it's that local. Well, listen, the, the, the story two months ago was like Frito-Lay is making more money than it's ever made. Yeah. Because and they were raising prices and they're saying no one's pushing back. Well, now they're pushing back. Yeah. That's the story. That's what's going on. Yeah. Yep. But do you also... Yeah, okay. I mean, we could argue about this forever, really. I don't know. We're not arguing. What do what, what you mean? What do you think? No, I, I mean, we could muse about this forever. Mm -hmm. uh, because you, you think about uh, Frito-Lay, immediately you think about Fritos. Mm -hmm. uh, no one's trying to reproduce Fritos. No, but now. that's not their biggest no, problem. But, but um, the, uh, the whole idea that uh, once upon a time, Fritos was a functional um, equivalent of a tortilla chip. Yeah. And now we have... Actual tortilla chips that are a lot, lot better. So. Well, look, they have a the photo for the article is for uh, it's from a um, convenience store chain called Casey's, which we never heard of because it's in the Midwest. So Casey's isn't as big as someone like all these or Wegmans, but they have introduced three hundred fifty private label brands, and as you can see from the photo, including twenty five types of potato chips, and they say right. that's what people are buying. Yeah, there you go. All right, mm -hmm. so that's good news for the consumer. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we actually uh, were um, at a friend's house for dinner. We were talking to them. And uh, the guy, Tom, is from Australia. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were talking about what do you, uh, you know, what do you watch? What do you follow? What are you interested in? Cricket. Mm -hmm. Cricket. Loves to watch cricket on TV. Mm -hmm. I can't even begin to imagine that, right. I have no idea. I can't. Uh, I can't understand any aspect of what's going on. Well, we know is it goes on for days. But yeah, it's very popular. Really, you know, uh, in certain places around the world, right? right. Um, where the British Empire managed to make it popular, I guess, mm -hmm. and uh, so people uh, move. People coming to the U.S. still want to. 
have some exposure to cricket. They well, want to watch a, cricket. If they grow up with that game, you're going to stick with it. Right. So what they've it. been doing is, which, uh, you know, for many people of uh, niche sports, mm-hmm. uh, they've had to go to like uh, watch parties mm-hmm. at like a small a local theater or something. We'll be playing certain big uh, tournament mm-hmm. or matches or whatever. And, and now there's beginning to be such demand uh, because in, in the U.S. You're in the U.S., about, yeah. um, this uh, cricket crazy diaspora has grabbed the eye of big media. So now there's there's going to be good news for Tom. Um, ESPN uh, has uh, is now making a big effort to get into the cricket streaming game Mm -hmm. and uh you know you're going to be able to watch uh, cricket a lot more cricket a lot easier and uh i you know there have been certain adjustments i mean here's what i don't understand about cricket okay um there they have created something called the 2020 which is the shortest format for cricket Mm -hmm. so that maybe a game or a match only lasts three hours but the most traditional form of the sport called test cricket mm-hmm. can go on for five days mm-hmm. i mean, i just don't get it mm-hmm. i mean that cannot you know uh, how do you really hold on to a viewer for five days mm-hmm. so uh, they're focusing more on this 2020 this short form they're also uh, kind of focusing on uh bringing more cricket to the United States so that uh, not just people you know who have immigrated from other places where cricket is popular but uh, you have you know people in the US mm-hmm. learning about playing it seeing it at the park and uh, one of um, one of the uh, new fields mm-hmm. where cricket is popular and where they're having uh, you know um, major league games is in Morrisville, North Carolina. That's right in Sadie's neck of the woods. Mm-hmm. Okay, so right in the Research Triangle, apparently attracts a lot of people, tech people from the parts of the world where uh, cricket is popular. So, uh, you know, Sadie is going to be, we'll have to see yeah. what happens with Sadie. She may be losing her allegiance to the NHL. Yeah. Uh, in favor of uh, the local cricket matches. Well, yeah, I remember that article said something that we're going to build a different kind of field here. I don't know if well, we're they were they were building a baseball field, and someone and, said, uh, "Man, why are we doing that?" Yeah, because no one's playing. Kids are not playing baseball uh, anymore. Why not? And they switched gears and made it into a cricket field. So I'll believe it. Cricket when I see is it. coming, yeah. but it, you know, it just seems very complicated. All right. Yeah, well, look, we don't know anything about cricket. But, Possibly uh, it's not as boring as baseball, but it just seems... Well, look, one other thing that article, a lot of people investing a lot of money in it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not like a, a small development. It's not like people are just, eh, maybe people catch on. People putting millions and millions of dollars into this. Someone right. believes it's going to be big. And right. uh, do I agree with that? I, I don't. But look, my uh, mother watches tennis. She watches. Yeah, yeah, your mother's not the target market. She watches the. Yeah, your uh, mother's ninety-seven. Okay. The Tour de France. Yeah. She's always looking for something new. No, I think. No, no, I think. And I mean, a five-day match would be right up her alley. I keep her busy for five days. I don't think so. so. I, I think 
there are, are untapped uh, demographics yeah. Yeah. out there. That would be uh, a demographic they're not looking to tap. Um, okay, so speaking of the sports in the here and now, football. The biggest story in football, at least in my mind, maybe no one else's, is uh, this new quarterback named Tyson Badgett. And you're saying, I never heard of Tyson Badgett, and that's the point of the story. So, no, and I've heard of some quarterbacks. But you never heard of Tyson Badgett. No. Okay, well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Is he is he on any yeah he's is a prof- he on any insurance commercials not yet he uh, here's the deal with Tyson Batten and this makes almost no sense he started maybe if he dates a music star yeah he started for the Chicago Bears uh, a week ago uh, as a rookie because their starting quarterback had gotten hurt and. Uh, he played great, and they won the game by 10 or 20 points. They beat the Las Vegas Raiders, and the Bears are a terrible team. So if you're a quarterback of the Bears and you win a game, you have to play well. And he came out of nowhere, and here's what I mean by nowhere. The NFL is famous for investing all kinds of resources in scouting, in scouting every college out there. And the colleges are famous for investing all kinds of resources in scouting. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. In scouting every high school player out there so that they don't miss any bet. Okay. This kid goes to the high school in in West Virginia and no college is interested in him playing for them. No one says this is a high school quarterback we have to have or even want to have that we're willing to give a, a spot to on our team. Nobody. So he ends up going to a school that I had never heard of, which is called Shepherd. And Shepherd University is a Division II school in West Virginia. When you watch college football on Saturday, you're watching Division One, Division Two. all right? So you're not going to get the best athletes in Division Two. Here's his connection with Shepherd. This is the great part. He went to, uh, Badgett went to Martinsburg, West Virginia High School which is nearby, to Shepherd. Both of Badgen's parents attended Shepherd. That's why he went there. His parents okay. went there. His father played baseball for the Shepherd Rams, though these days Badgen's father is better known as one of the greatest competitive arm wrestlers of all time. <laughs> okay? It runs in the family. Badgen's grandfather was also an elite arm wrestler. Uh-huh. So Tyson uh, Badgen comes from a family of arm wrestlers. So is he a passer? He is a passer, yeah. He's a, he's a quarterback. Uh, family of uh, arm wrestlers, though, not football players. And he gets to uh, this school, Shepherd, and he is a sensation. A sensation. He's great. He's great from the very beginning. And... Um, He's there during the COVID years. It helps him develop physically because he graduated high school when he was 17. Most of these college athletes try to take advantage of it a year to be older when they go into school. Um, and he just keeps getting better. And as a result of that, he sets all kinds of records, Division II records, uh, at Shepard. Eventually, he attracts some interest from Division I schools. When he's a junior or a senior, mm-hmm. they say, maybe we can lure him into playing for school like Albany or West Virginia. And he says, you know something? I'm just staying close to home. You know, you guys weren't interested in me. I'm staying here. He finishes his career, breaks every single record, mm-hmm. Division Two, right? And so you think that, you know, uh, the pros aren't going to miss this. No. 
he he does get invited to what's called a pro days where you get to work out. Combines and he, or whatever. Exactly right. And he goes to the so-called senior bowl where they have top college athletes. Uh, but he doesn't get drafted by any NFL team. Mm-hmm. The funny thing, though, is at the senior bowl, the coach of the team, the American team that he was on, Badger was on, uh, was the offensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. And so he comes away from the game saying, I don't know if this kid's getting drafted, but keep him in mind. Sure enough, they sign him as a free agent afterwards. And uh, long story short, uh, a few months later, he's playing in an NFL game and he's succeeding. He's nobody. He's nobody <laughs> from Nowheresville, right? And yeah. they're quoting his high school coach and he said, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. He's always been very good. And uh, I'd expect him to succeed. You know, he played last night. Actually, the team lost last night, but he was on national television last night. Mm-hmm. So this is an amazing story. I mean, can this guy actually stick in the NFL? You know, they compare him to Tom Brady, who wasn't that heralded. Tom Brady, you know, was a mid-level draft pick who played at the University of Michigan. He was hardly uh, an unknown. But they said, Tyson Badgen's fans say, look, he's got the same initials as Tom Brady, TB. He's ready to go. <laughs> so, all right. Someone you can pay attention to, Tyson. Okay. Tyson Badgen. Yes. All right. Remember that name. Um, well, there's always something, uh, new in the world of antiquities trafficking. Mm-hmm. So the, this week's story in the New York Times is about, uh, yeah. some, uh, farmers, it's about, it's about a pile, it's about a, basically a pile of fantastic hollow cast bronzes. Mm-hmm. Um, from uh, they're like two, you know, two thousand years old or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, the um, you know, we've been talking about that the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, the Antiquities Trafficking Unit, is on the warpath, uh, trying to uh, help repatriate mm-hmm. uh, uh, various uh, works of art that have been illegally uh, acquired. In the U.S., whether whether it's uh, private or in museums, and um, at, uh, in this case, they're working with Turkey, and uh, they've uh, kind of zeroed in on the Sebastian of Bubon, and uh, <laughs> it's a Bubon is a town is a, a place in outside of you know. In Asia Minor, Anatolia, um, where uh, you know, in uh, you know, back in the day, was part of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. So the Sebastian was a shrine to emperors, right? So you know, as being part of the Roman Empire, gave you all kinds of, uh, um, I guess, uh, what would you call it, uh, benefits such as roads, uh, et cetera, that facilitates your uh, trade et cetera, and so forth. And, you know, one of the things you have to do is, um, you know, show your uh, loyalty mm-hmm. uh, to the powers that be. And so at some point this shrine had at least 14 different rather large, mm-hmm. impressive uh, bronze statues of various emperors. Uh, they started out, probably the first two were Nero and mm-hmm. his wife, Poppea. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, Nero um, comes to you know a bad end, and uh, people are not that fond of him afterwards. And so you know it's a fairly normal thing to destroy uh, statues of uh, um, past. Uh, leaders etc but uh you know and his actually his um his name will be smudged out mm-hmm. on the uh, the um support the stone uh block that it sits on and Marcus Aurelius will have his statue there and his name scrolled in and you know it's about about 200 years worth of uh sculptures and uh they survive for a while, but then are fortunately covered up due to an earthquake, mm-hmm. which is fortunate for the sculptors mm-hmm. uh, because uh, it was a period where, you know, once, uh, you know, uh, politics, uh, etc. change, um, once circumstances change, uh, statues like that would be often that would be melted down mm-hmm. and used for something else. Right. Uh, like uh, swords or right. whatever. Uh, so these things are hidden for like thousands of years in the dirt. Right. And, uh, you know, in the 50s or so, the um, uh, farmers in a nearby town kind of discover these. Everybody seems to know about them. They, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, teachers take their kids to this hole in the ground and, you know, were they able to see some of the sculptures? And, and so it's, you know, and, uh, and, you know, at a certain point, the farmers decide, you know, this is ours. These are our things. Right. We might as well benefit from them. And they begin selling them. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a guy called American Bob mm-hmm. who buys them at a local, like, bazaar mm-hmm. near the port and, uh, you know, takes them to the U.S., the theory is, and then uh, sells them to, uh, you know, one particular collector. Uh, but, you know, the, uh, the stuff ends up all over the place. So now, uh, this is all illegal. It's 19, since 1906, mm-hmm. been illegal in Turkey to sell antiquities without official mm-hmm. authorization, permission, or whatever. Um, so now they're in the process of trying to, uh, you know, tack... Um, the evidence onto these things and get them back. Yeah. And it's all, you know, it's all very complicated. They quote in this article, a woman who did uh, quite a lot of research about it, was fascinated about it. She wrote a book in the nineties. She's since passed away, but they, they're using a lot of her uh, research. The question is, is, you know, the current uh, president Erdogan of Turkey, is he just using this as an opportunity you know, um, to, uh, you know, as a PR stunt mm-hmm. for, you know, um, Turkish nationalist mm-hmm. uh, nostalgia kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, some people are critical. They actually, why, you know, why uh, is the district attorney working with this guy who's a terrible guy, you know, and uh, accused of all kinds of, um, you know, uh, crimes against people, mm-hmm. etc. cetera. Um, so, it's a, a complicated. Yeah, matter. look, the the the, uh, the head of Turkey is controversial, and yeah. and when you say why is this guy, what you what you're saying is why is the uh, the government, the DA's attorney, the DA of his office in New York, working with, with them to, to help right. them out, or aligning himself with them is a better better way of putting it. 
Right. And the answer is because they feel that this is something they should be doing. Uh, whether it is or it isn't, you can uh, argue. But uh, Some yeah. of the museums and people are pushing back and saying the evidence is not that clear. Well, well the evidence not is not going to th- hand over the stuff. Yeah. Uh, the Met has been actually handing over a good amount. Yeah. Look, I mean, out. I think there's probably a different story for – or let, let me put it this way. There are a variety of stories with respect to a variety of objects. The way you describe this – it doesn't feel like, you know, X years after whoever bought it is holding in due course. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't feel like it's a compelling case to send it back if these people decided to sell it. And they're the people who actually live there and they benefited from the sale. I don't, it doesn't feel like anyone was taking advantage of anybody. But, but. Well, yeah, I mean, but uh, still, I mean, the, uh, the law existed. I don't think it wasn't the land of these farmers. They just knew where this stuff was. Right. They're just saying, you think it wasn't theirs to sell? Turkish, it's our stuff. Yeah, but, um, but, but, but who so, owned it? Uh, that I don't know. Okay. But the, even if they, no matter what, they should have been selling <clears> it. Even if you own it, you're. You have to get permission to sell it. You well, can't just squirrel it right. away to the food market and sell it to this guy. Yeah, well, but that, that even that's a questionable uh, rule as far as I'm concerned. I mean, somebody owns it. Somebody's entitled to sell it. Uh, and frankly, the fact that you have a result that the, the locals, the farmers, you know, got some financial benefit of it is not the worst result in the world. So uh, right. I, can't, I can't get too excited about right. it. Right. Yeah. It's not like somebody, some horrible person just, you know, by force, kind of just put a rope around it and start putting it in a truck. It's not that kind of thing. So, but it's uh, it's still a little. It is interesting to me in general. Yeah, that this is uh, an effort by the Manhattan yeah. District yeah. Attorney's well, Office. I, I had no idea. I can't get into that, why uh, people do things like that. I mean, yeah. a lot of these offices. You know, you talk about the political issues surrounding Turkey. A lot of these DA's offices are highly political also. So everyone's got their own reason to do things, okay? It's yeah. not like it's uh, it's really an important use of resources. So why, uh, you know, U.S. government agencies do the things they do, including the uh, various, uh, you know, tools available to the uh, U.S. Department of Justice and, and the state authorities, that I cannot explain. So There's also, you know, I mean, this is not... The area they came from is not a really prominent area. I mean, some people are skeptical that these sculptures would have been, would have actually been there because they're quite large Hmm. and fine. And, you know. Look, we don't know. We don't know. All right. So uh, you had something else about some Broadway shows you ran into. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm keeping yeah. I keep finding stuff that I want to see. I don't know if we're going to be able to see any of this. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was I was going down this rabbit hole today, finding you know, there's a mention of uh, a musical that's coming out in March called Lempicka. Yeah. And it's about a um, a woman who painted in sort of an Art Deco style, and originally from Poland. And uh, she ends up in Russia and then Paris, then U.S., and uh, eventually uh, in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, she, you know, she was kind of an interesting, uh, flamboyant personality. And this gives a chance to uh, put on stage Paris during the jazz age, which seems fun and beautiful, etc. She, um, you know, uh, 
people like her, she she was quite popular uh, for a while. And even now, some of her stuff is selling. I think Madonna has a Lempicka, okay. a, a Tamara Lempicka uh, painting, etc. So, um, you know, um, you know, Rachel Chavkin is the director. Mm-hmm. And uh, she did Hades Town, okay. right? Um, so the capitalization for this musical, nineteen point five million. So yeah. they're putting a lot into it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it may be interesting. That's the one that's going to be Lincoln Center, or is that no, no, no? That that one's going to be on Broadway now. Oh, wow. well, well, they, what they mentioned is the star of it will be Eden Espinosa who is currently in a production, uh, the article said, at Lincoln Center. Okay. So then I go to look at that yeah. um, production. That's called Garden of, The Garden of Annuncia. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, Priscilla Lopez is in that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the story of director, choreogra- choreographer, um, I've forgotten her name, Deb, uh, Danielle Gabriele. Okay who has worked a lot with the guy who wrote this, Michael John Lachusa. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's how you say his last name. Okay. But he, you know, he's wrote, written a variety of musicals, mm-hmm. including The Wild Party. Right. All right. Which uh, you mentioned. You were you Well, know. there are, there are two versions of The Wild Party, so it's always confusing. Both of them did not succeed. So you don't have to parse it too very much. Uh, he's Lachuse is described in Wikipedia, since that's the authority, as a writer of esoteric musicals. Uh, this sounds like an esoteric musical, although uh, it's at Lincoln Center, so who knows? But you know, a lot of them are based on tr- real characters, yeah, or some, okay. something historic, right? And uh, this is based on uh, Gabriela's life, yeah. growing up in Argentina yeah. and uh, getting into the arts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Priscilla Lopez was in um, Chorus Line. Chorus Line, hundred years ago, yeah, right. Hundred. She's seventy-five. She's okay. She's in this, and uh, and even she says this is sort of my story too. This is kind of you know, this is everybody's story. Yeah, Chorus. She was in Chorus Line in nineteen seventy-five too. So that's uh, uh, yeah, some time so, ago. Uh, all right, all right. But I mean, it was very funny. So talking about um, Wild Party, you yeah. know, brought back a fun memory for you. You said, Wild Party, uh, you know, uh, who was in that? Who was in that? And Oh, yeah. Well, that, well, we had that story. for So we're sitting there during the bike trip. And one of the guys we went with on the bike trip, uh, whose first name escapes me, but in any event, he was a funny guy who didn't have very much contact with New York, but he was a musician. No, no, no. Keith Hall is his name. Okay. Keith. And, okay. He, and he, didn't, he was a musician and he knew music and he said he was talking about going to New York as a young man. He said, I haven't seen Broadway shows, but I saw a Broadway show there which had Mandy Patinkin in Eartha Kitt. And we said to him, what? <laughs> Because Mandy Patinkin and Eartha Kitt are in different generations, so how is that possible? What show could, could that possibly, be? You must be mistaken. And he got on his phone, and the answer was Wild Party. Michael chooses Wild Party. Right. So there you go. So, so, so it was fun to think so, of, of Keith. Yeah, Mandy Patinkin must, must have been be. a young guy, and Eartha Kitt was a 60-year-old sex kitten in uh, so Wild Party. So that's what we should do. We should, we should call up Keith and say... Let's go to this uh, musical. Because you're a fan of Michael Chisa. It's a chance for you to go to another Broadway musical. Yeah. A nice, obscure one. Right. It sounds plain. Anyway, so I think it's... um, Actually, it's hard to get tickets to. Uh, And um, 
I mean, it's got a short run at uh, Lincoln Center, so. Well, the thing we're, we're going to Garden right now. Garden of Anuncia. You want to, we're planning on going to the, uh, da, 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 one of us, the Social Club musical. Well, I still want to go to that, but we haven't bought tickets and they get harder to get well, every day. Well, you're in charge of that. So that's, oh, that's, really? Yeah, yeah. I, that, that's know, up to you. I do all the work. You were negotiating family. with Sadie. Yeah. But now I've got two others i got to find tickets and I, I think you can wait on those. To relax for that. Uh, all right. So let's wind this up. Two things. Number one, this is a very small thing. I mean, I don't mean to say small. Joanna Merlin is a Broadway actress who passed away, who was a casting director as well as an actress. And you recognize her photo here because she's had a million episodes of Law & Order, among other things. But um, she was a very successful casting director, and she casted all these Sondheim musicals and the like. So that, that became her main career. But it's funny that her first Broadway role, she was a young woman, was in Fiddler on the Roof, uh, the original production. They have a picture of her with Zero Mastel, and she played uh, Seidel, the eldest daughter. Mm -hmm. And uh, while she was playing uh, Seidel... Uh, well, first of all, I should tell you that I read that. I said, wait a second. I had always heard that Bette Midler was the original uh, Seidel. And uh, no, this woman, Joanna Merlin, was the original Seidel. But she got pregnant very shortly after she took the part. Uh, and she was replaced by her understudy, Bette Midler, who also was Joanna Merlin's babysitter. <laughs> So that's how Bette Midler got started. She was Joanna Merlin's babysitter, and uh, that's who you want to babysit for, a casting director. Uh, and finally, um, I mean, would you, put, would you put your kid, would you trust your kid in the charge of Bette Midler as a babysitter? I, I, yeah. You would? Yeah. All right, good yeah, for you. Yeah, you know what? There are times in your life when you're so desperate to get uh, a babysitter, uh, yeah, the dog will do. Yeah, all right. Well, that's true. So uh, there's, a whole, there's a whole play about that, right? Is there? Peter Pan. Oh, really? That's you're really reaching back, reaching back. Peter Pan. Is the dog the babysitter in Peter no, Pan? Just go on. Will you tell, tell your story? I think you're probably right. Um, there was an article about rituals. Uh, people have their own peculiar rituals in the New York Times. And they're not terribly interesting. Somebody says they have a, there are letters that people write in said, I needed a ritual to mark my birthday. I decided I would go to Walden Pond in Massachusetts and swim in the clear, cool water. It was the equivalent of washing away the previous year, that kind of thing. My dad always beeped the car horn when we drove under a moving train. I always remember my dad. Uh, you know, uh, things like that. Uh, but here's the one that got me, okay? A ritual that a lot of people wrote in and said they observed was that at the beginning of every month, they say, rabbit, rabbit. Yes. Well, of course. You're the one who introduced me to that. Yeah. And I thought that was just you. <laughs> no. I learned it from somebody else. It's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing. And if you miss rabbit, rabbit, as I understand from you, yeah. you say, after you miss the, you know, the beginning of the month, you have to make up for it by saying gopher, gopher. Yes. <laughs> so I'm not the only one. Yeah, I'm no, stunned. Well, thing. I'm bringing it up thing. now because it's the 31st, and tomorrow is November 1st. No, no, no. Tomorrow... Today's the oh, 30th. Oh, you're right. Tomorrow's the 31st. And then, so you're getting ready. I'm getting ready. Wednesday's November 1st. you got to wake up and you got to say rabbit, rabbit. Well, did anybody mention like lifting your feet when you drive over train tracks? Uh, no, but it wasn't the complete yeah. uh, listing. Yeah. Yeah. We always had to do that too. 
Yeah, well, you you might have your own book of rituals to uh, to address. Right. Rabbit, 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 rabbit. In a couple of days, people keep that in mind. Hope this gets out soon, so you and can do course. that. But if you miss and it, don't, and don't miss it, don't worry. Just so gopher, you, gopher will do. Gopher, gopher will do it. Okay, so until the beginning of the next month, happy this, Halloween. And this is Dan Abuhoff, Tamson Granger, Tamson and Dan read the paper. Uh, we'll see you in November.